0: Okay, so what is up guys? We are back again with another podcast. And in this today's podcast, we have a guest on. And if you're in our free Facebook group, we were talking about this earlier on in the week. Actually, it was probably two weeks ago when this will come out um, about the seminars that are coming up. And today's podcast is a bit of a a controversial topic, but it's one that either you've thought about, if you're in the fitness industry, you've probably probably thought about it before. You've probably been exposed to it before. It's kind of a peripheral topic. You know, people don't like to say it unless they're really involved in the fitness industry. And the, the topic is on ped use, like performance enhancing drugs. So we're going to get into it. We're going to literally let the conversation flow, whatever comes up. Like I have a few questions that I wouldn't mind answered. Um, but we have Broderick Chavez. I believe that's how you say your second name. Yes. Fair uh, enough. on the podcast to talk uh, about performance enhancing drugs. And we are going, both myself and Gary, going to his seminar in Dublin. I think it's on the 16th. I'll put it in the show notes uh, again, just to confirm the dates, but we will be there. So Roderick, if you want to give yourself a little synopsis, tell us who you are, tell our audience who you are, and then we can get this
1: rolling. Funny, I'm really good at talking about drugs. I'm really bad about talking about myself. Uh, so, you know, as, as you outlined, my uh, my name is Broderick Chavez. Um, I am approaching fifty years old. I've been a competitive strength uh, athlete since age fourteen. Been lifting weights since age ten. Um, had some very, very good um, guidance very young. Uh, people like the famous bodybuilder Tom Platts, Dr. Fred Hatfield, people of that caliber and that acumen. And so got a very, very good direction in things, both uh, competitively um, from a training perspective, from a a, a, uh, kind of cognitive worldview perspective in terms of how I viewed drugs, how I viewed athletics at large. And through that was i would say i almost said pushed but that's not the right word but guided or 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 steered toward intellectual pursuits um you know, pursued a degree uh an undergraduate degree in biology um considered actually stuck my toe into postgraduate work chose not to do that and pursue more coaching and practical application stuff um but along the way the short answer is collected a degree in biology worked in the biology practical applications field um has, have been a coach and athlete, and then later just coach, uh, essentially since about 19, let's see, my first real professional coaching bout would have been like 88 or 89 um, to, to date. So I've collected that level of uh, experience, um, worked with uh, professional boxers, MMA, but MMA wasn't even MMA then, but professional fly, combat athletes, boxers, uh, track and field, very heavy in the track and field area. Um, just mainly because the university I went to was track and field centric. Um, Obviously powerlifters, bodybuilders, strongmen, Olympic lifters, although I hate those fuckers, Um, you know, just really been involved in the world of bodybuilding, strength, sports. I don't like the word fitness because fitness I view as the spandex lycra, you know, pad on the bar kind of crowd. So if I'm offending anyone it can fuck off, but uh, you know.
0: So we offend people on this podcast all the time. So just speak well, your it's mind. It's my
1: stock and trade, I'm afraid. But anyway, as a as a short answer, that's that's roughly who I am and what I do uh, currently. Um, work essentially as a drug coach. Um, you know, I don't like to admit that out loud. I guess It's not really good for PR. But essentially, that's where I fall in the world of uh, of athletics at this moment in time. Uh, operate a website basically dedicated to the concepts of you know relatively safe use of performance enhancing drugs and that that's roughly who I am I'm the bad guy
0: <laughs> yeah but this this is actually why we wanted to have you on the podcast because I think I first became aware of you in Lyle McDonald's group uh maybe ah. a, a couple of years ago and like he would always tag you in it it would be something about drugs and he'd be like oh like he'd tag you in it so that kind of gave me the idea that you were the credible source of his information for like this drug use, this kind of stuff. And like Lyle's obviously, he's a little bit crazy, but he's a smart guy, you know, like he,
1: well, well, let me, let me, let me refine that for you. And I don't just say this to kiss Lyle's ass. I'll say this because I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the mix. Lyle is one, not a little bit crazy. Lyle's that (laughs) shit crazy. And two Lyle is single singularly the, most intelligent and um, acute person I'm, I'm aware of, seriously. He is uh, the one individual that I would literally fear getting into an intellectual argument with. He is, he's, he's, he's severe.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think there's like very few people in, especially in the fitness industry, whatever about other industries, but in general, you don't generally, generally meet people that have his level—I am not call it dedication, but that's not even the right word. But his level of thought process, commitment. yeah, commitment, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use for it. But his level of thought process into a given thing, like I think it is a fact or a factor of him being crazy that it, yep. he is—he he is so involved in it because everything becomes almost a, a personal thing for him. But I actually think that's a—that's a good thing for the information I, that I do as well. Yeah, like it, it, and obviously you can you can, it can come across that he is abrasive or whatever but like i actually just don't care about any of that kind of stuff i'm like like he's he's commented on stuff on my facebook and stuff and even though like i could easily take that as a, an ego hit being like oh jesus like i've done whatever but when you actually like read between the lines or whatever and actually read the message he's putting you're like no he's actually right I should have communicated that better or I should have worded that better or done whatever. And it's like, okay, actually, no, this is actually helpful. Like, I think he has done more for moving the industry forward than he would probably even take credit for. And more Uh, people, more people would give him, you know,
1: I, I, certainly believe that. Um, I, I joke that, uh, unlike Al Gore, uh, I think Lyle McDonald did actually invent the internet.
0: Yeah, like, that's, he he was one of the reasons that I went back to study biochemistry, because I was like, man, this guy understands stuff, like, and, like, obviously, he's not, like, a biochemist or anything, but I was like, I like the biochemistry side of things, and I was like, he understands stuff, you know, he's writing about this stuff, like, he did, I believe, physiology, I want to say, but... I was like, yeah, no, I actually want to learn more. I, like, I liked his thought process. But anyway, that's an, an aside. We will, I'll probably get him on the podcast at some stage so I can lick his ass then. But that was the reason I first became aware of you and first became aware of your credibility, right? And like on this, well, on our, like, our whole like ethos is kind of putting the health back into the health and fitness industry because a lot of people have over well the, the last while the last few 10 20 years I kind of ignored that aspect and there's a, obviously a bit of it that comes from like say the bodybuilding world you know where it's like that that kind of stuff leaks over because you know they're jacked they look great you're like okay well that's easy to sell products but also you have the other side of it where the the health aspect becomes a lot of like woo woo like kind of pseudo scientific stuff and it's like that the,
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh you know, it's like there's no, there, or rather, we think that there's no real rational conversation around like health and this fitness stuff. And obviously, you seem to put out a message of actual, I'm going to call it healthful, or as healthful as it can be, uh, PED use, like performance-enhancing drug use. Like it's not, not what you see. Like if you go on any forum online, it's like, yeah, you need to be taking, you know, grams of this, and you need to be taking all of this, and it's like this. Like, what? what is your actual objective? Like, are you just trying to look good on the beach? Are you trying to be a, a pro athlete here? Like, it seems to be just this kind of common advice put across the board. And there's no real thought for long-term health or even long-term results. Like, it's almost like, oh, yeah, take fucking three grams of trend per week. And, you know, you're going to look great in whatever, 12 weeks. Uh, but it's like, yeah, okay, you're going to be dead in fucking whatever, you know? It's like, th- this is not it's a short-term payoff and you just lose all of the long-term benefits. You know, and I think you put out a very rational, well thought out argument for, you know, ethical, we'll call it performance enhancing drug use, you know? So
1: obviously. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's officially an ethical way to break the law and and quote yeah. cheat, but um, I, I could argue the whole, you know, the, Rationality of the laws and of the cheating part, but that, that's probably a conversation for an entirely separate uh, separate day. Um, it, funny, you kind of, not kind of, you you blatantly, you know, accused me of having this health first mindset. And the reality is, I, I do what I do by default. Mm. Um, what I really have is, from the ground up, essentially this mantra of longer, lower, slower. Mm by trade, by by education, by acumen, I am a biologist. And so biology is essentially working with uh, individuals and, and populations and seeing change over time. Biology is essentially that. It is observing and manipulating changes over time. And so that has pervaded my very person. And everything I do, I don't look for the acute change I look for the chronic change. I look for the long-term adaptation in every aspect. And because of that, if you're looking for a, if you're, instead of talking, like you said, like a 12-week paradigm, and you're looking at a 12-year paradigm, it brings down the necessity for acute everything, including drug use. So now everything's lower, more tolerable, more sustainable, more survivable, and you just stretch out the paradigm so yes you may not be quite as successful next year but three years later you'll be both more successful and healthier and and more more durable at that time so yes i'm kind of health first but it's really health first by default of i'm just not a a a forward maniac on the short term
0: yeah but i think that's actually what makes your message so good it's not that you're actually going like oh it's all about health because like realistically like taking drugs of any kind is unhealthy you know like it's not
1: 100 and i say that i say that literally every time i open my mouth on a podcast or on a question answer it's like there's no good way to take drugs Mm. there's only the least bad way yeah. that's, that's all there is
0: exactly and that's what I, I i like about the message that you put out because like it'd be very similar to the message that we put out it's like okay it, like there's there are short-term trade-offs in certain things and like we always say there's essentially three goals you can you can go towards you can go towards health body composition and performance you know and they're the three goals that you'll find across the the fitness industry right and obviously you can bias one of them at one time lose the, the focus on the other ones but They're the three goals. And if you can keep the other goals ticking along in the background while you chase another goal, I think that's a a better long term approach. And that's what that's why I like the message that you put out, because it's like, okay, we're doing something that's unhealthy, but we're going to try do it in a a healthful way. You know, we're gonna try the, the or try to cause the least amount of harm for what we're doing, you know, and that obviously turns into a longer term approach, like you're actually looking to the future. It just invariably turns exactly. into that, you know. And th- I-, I think that's uh, the way the fitness industry as a whole should move towards. Even, even forget about like the performance-enhancing drug stuff. Like, it needs to move away from like this twenty-eight-day transformation things and like, yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's like it, sh- it should be like, yeah, you can get too much into the sustainability aspect and never achieve anything, you know. But it needs to, it needs to move away from the short-term focus and once that happens then like i think you know that the industry moves forward substantially from there you know
1: yeah it's it's funny because i i actually speaking of lyle mcdonald lyle actually did a better job at this than even i did kind of pointing out some very kind of good ideas that spoiled the pot down the road and one of the examples he gave was was like like atkins Adkins, you know, although I personally am not a fan of ketogenic anythings or whatever, but the point was it was a very acute diet that did cause pretty substantial (laughs) acute weight loss, but it was unsustainable. And it kind of started this snowball of just time compressing everything. And instead of, you know, being lean for life, it's how lean can I get for the season? And it, it it's one of those things that somewhere in the late 70s early 80s kind of started that snowball of cyclical everything mm. and kind of ruined that you know and and I hate to romanticize the past and we were you know early late 60s early 70s bodybuilders wholesome but the mindset of you know this is a long term life mm. goal i want to you know be competitive and look good forever was the mindset and that made way for, I just need to be ready for the season. I just need to be ready for the, so it's, it's interesting. If nothing else, I apologize for the noise, but I have a 16 year old dog. That's just kind of wandering around confused (laughs) and clueless and she's noisy as all hell.
0: Don't worry about it. So I think we should kind of get into this whole topic, right? So with, with performance enhancing drugs, like, how do you approach it with uh, a long-term health-first focus, right? Because obviously, as an individual, like I personally, I've looked into the topic from a, a personal aspect. You know, you like I think again, everyone in the fitness industry, if you've been in there a few in a few years or whatever, you're kind of like, you know, is this something for me? You know, does this fit with my long-term goals, what I want to achieve? And for me personally, I'm like, oh, like it's it's not worth the hassle. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, T or T when I'm older or whatever, but for me, given my goals, given my lifestyle, et cetera, I'm like, I don't think that the risks outweigh the rewards. Now, obviously being absolutely jacked out of my mind would be wonderful, you know, but I'm like, oh, like, is it worth the the risks, right? And I would see those risks as mainly being health risks, right? In terms of, you know, uh, cardiovascular health you know, like fertility we can go into as well, but it would mainly be the health side of things. However, like I, I'd be friends with quite a lot of people in the, the, the this whole fitness sphere that I would think they approach their performance enhancing drug use with a health first mindset, you know? Like they're literally going like, yes, I am supercharging the engine, but I'm keeping my eye on, certain blood work markers, certain, you know, we'll call them whatever, you know, uh, day-to-day markers, like how they feel, you know, are they feeling like extra anxiety, you know, more of the mental side of things and stuff like that. Because I always, like I always joke with Gary, the other guy who uh, is on this podcast as well, like most of the people that do performance enhancing drugs and they don't do it a, a healthful way, I either see them, they get depression or they stop lifting, you know, and I'm like, neither of those th- two things do I want to engage in, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, there has to be, if it is something that you're considering, which I'm just going to put a disclaimer out here, you know, don't do drugs, kids, whatever else. But if it is something you're considering, you should have the long-term approach in mind. But h- how do you actually go about that? Like say you have someone that comes to you and they have cleared all the, the beginner hurdles, like don't do this mm-hmm. at, uh, uh, an 18 year old like you're responsible you're an adult whatever but they're like you know I think I've I've been thinking for the last while this is something that I want to do how how do you how do you advise that person
1: well I'm definitely going to answer your question but before I do I want to actually preface it with with something additional um and, and again you know disclaimer all of that legal ethical bullshit aside I'm not promoting this as a good idea, but just as a point of fact, I actually began my, I hate the faggoty language, but my journey into performance enhancing drugs at age 16. So, you know, you just randomly threw out, you know, 18. I actually started even earlier than that. Now, again, I said that I had some very good guidance and some very good people around me. And the mindset was not, oh, you're too young or you're too old. It's, How committed, well and truly, are you to the idea of you need that to reach the goal in which you've chosen? And because I started weight training at age 10, and I was competitive at already at the age 14, and it was clear to everyone around me that that was the avenue in which I had chosen to pursue. The idea of using performance enhancing drugs was a natural bad pun but a natural iteration of what i had chosen so it's not so much a matter of age it was more a matter of training age Mm. and commitment and that last one is the one i find that people are very lacking on we live in a very disposable artificial world where people are very comfortable taking up something and then throwing it you know they buy golf clubs and then quit golf at the end of the season that's not someone who needs to take drugs so that part is a little i'm not very good at dealing with the you know socio-emotional component of people i deal with the fucking numbers so when somebody finally gets in front of me the way i would approach it from a ground zero point of view is lay out the entire approach which is use and this is you know, people look at me like it's so groundbreaking, but it's also the approach that like all Western medicine operates on. Use the minimum amount necessary to accomplish the goal at hand. This accomplishes two things. One does not overwhelm the individual. It doesn't allow the drug to kill the individual. It it allows. And then lastly, leaves upward mobility. Hmm. The idea here is to use the minimum, not just because it's preservative of health, which it is, but it also is then preservative of future upward mobility. So I see a minimum effective dose approach, just the only rational approach for both of those reasons. One, it's the most sustainable to your health. And then two, it's the most sustainable to your future career. Um, the analogy I use, which is essentially the only way I speak is metaphor and analogy, is the idea that probably everyone listening to this has witnessed once or twice. You walk into the lobby of a big fancy hotel and there's two elevators. And you walk up to the elevator and being a relatively intelligent, relatively rational person, you push the fucking button and then you stand there and wait for the elevator. One button, one elevator. The asshole next to you who wandered out of the bar and is trying to go back to his room, he walks up to the elevator and pushes the button 67 fucking times. He gets one elevator, just like you. If you consider the pushing of the button, the dosing, you push the button one time, you got one elevator. He pushed the button 67 times, got one elevator. He wasted 66 dosings to get the same fucking elevator. Then you go up to the next floor, get off the elevator, get back on, push the buttons. So I spent two, two dosings to go two floors. He spent 100 plus dosings to go two floors you could see how that you know, plays out as you move up so that's essentially the, the 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 mindset then the other major mindset which i employ that people seem to feel is somewhat novel is something my grandfather beat into me as a child to the point where i was nauseous from hearing it right tool for the right job we have you know 20 or 30 assorted anabolics at our Disposal. I mean, there's literally hundreds more, but, you know, in the, in the popular pantheon, there's maybe 20 products. Each one does ex- exactly the same thing, but with a slight nuance. So selecting the drug with the nuance as the intention, you can get exactly the result you want. So it's a matter of the least necessary and the most appropriate product. And those two things together give you very good results at momentarily the least possible risk
0: yeah i always look at it like uh, most people once they get into any kind of stuff training training is actually a really good analogy i think for drug use in terms of like you want to start off with the minimum effective dose like why why are you going in and doing 20 sets of squats when five sets of squats will be perfectly fine for where you're at and you can progress from Absolutely. there you know uh but the way I always like look at it in my mind is like people actually favor side effects rather than effects. Like people, people want. One hundred percent. Yeah, people want to do that squat workout that leaves them struggling to walk down the stairs when it's like. It's
1: like, funny you. It, it's funny you bring that up because I hear this an awful lot. I hear this an awful lot. Um, people, you know, I'll be talking about something and I'll bring up a drug and just use a name. Hopefully, your listeners know names, but I'll bring up a drug like, for instance, Primobolan. Methanolone and anthate. And I'll hear something like this from usually the biggest guy in the room. And they'll raise their hand. Oh, I I tried Prima and I just didn't feel like it worked. What the fuck does muscle growth feel like? Am I missing out on something? Because I don't actually know the sensation of muscle growth. I'm not aware of that. What that asshole was really saying is, I didn't have a raging heart on I didn't have a bad attitude, I wasn't covered in acne, so clearly it wasn't working. That's prizing the side effects over the effects. Now, having said that, there is occasions where that's even a relative, um, a valid pursuit. There are times when we will apply a drug literally to get the side effect. There's reason to apply highly androgenic drugs in the final 10 days before a track and field event or a powerlifting event to drive aggression, to increase pain tolerance. Those are side effects, but we're using the drug acutely to achieve that.
0: Hmm.
1: That's true, but not as an overall McCub. That's not the way to design one's overall program and say, you know, oh, I really like, you know, you know, high blood pressure and a bad attitude. That's really what I'm chasing right now. Maybe not. Maybe maybe not so much.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's actually, even again, without the, the, the ped talk or anything, like you, you see it across the board, like people will try a pre-workout and they're like, ah, oh, I just didn't really feel it working. You know, even though it could have been perfect, it could have increased their training volume. It could have whatever, exactly what you wanted, but they're like, I didn't feel that stim they feeling or I didn't feel the like, you know, beta alanine tingles in my face. It's like, you, you're, you're just favoring the side effects because you can feel it then working, you know? And again, I, I, I really like that you did say that, you know, sometimes you do want to favor the side effects, you know? And again, like, like you said, with the, the track and field, I'd be more familiar with people in the you know, powerlifting community or something like using like something like we'll say, uh, halo, halo testing. Isn't that how you say it? Whatever, you know, before a meet or whatever. Cause they're like, it makes me feel really aggressive. It makes me feel Absolutely. like I, I want to like attack the weights. And I'm like, yeah, I can see how that, that side effect is actually now the desired effect, if that makes sense you know? Correct. But that is, that is something that I think, even if that's the only thing that people take away from this podcast, if you actually use your drugs for their actual intended effects, then you will get a better long-term approach in general. You know, like if you look at it, if you're like, oh, I want to be a bodybuilder, then you're going to prioritize drugs that are anabolic. That means that you might not feel them as much as, let's say, androgenic drugs. You know, you're not feeling the the masculine big dick energy or whatever you want to call it. But it's like, Absolutely. you're actually getting the effect. You know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're actually building more muscle over time, which is what you, what you say you want, you know? But yeah, if, if, they, if people can take that away from the, this podcast and be like, okay, let's actually prioritize effects rather than side effects. I think the drug use in general just goes down and it, it, becomes, yeah, it becomes better suited to what they're actually trying to achieve.
1: There, there's a, another thing, I don't know exactly where in this conversation it should fit, so I'll just blurt it out here, and then we can, you know, uh, pr- arrange it later, or you, know, you could guide the conversation to later, but probably one of the most, in my mind, one of the most valuable things um, a potential user of drugs and, and, and someone interested in, in a foray into this world could do for themselves is get a legitimate understanding of the language. For instance, I hear this all the time. People will say something or something or something or other about anabolic steroids, and then their next sentence will be testosterone, as if testosterone was an anabolic steroid. That's wrong. Testosterone is not an anabolic steroid. It is a steroid, and it is anabolic. But by its legitimate legal and medical definition, it is not an anabolic steroid. It sounds like subtle pedantics, but it's not. It literally sets the stage for all the science and chemistry of anabolic steroids. Testosterone, when you look it up in a medical dictionary or a PDR or some reference publication, you will see that it is not an anabolic steroid. It is an androgen. It is the root male hormone, androgen, Latin, that which makes male. So it is the male hormone. Then if you look up the definition of an anabolic androgenic steroid, AAS, you will find that the definition is quite specific. It is a synthetic derivative keyword of testosterone. If it's a synthetic derivative of testosterone, that precludes testosterone from being in that definition. So the order of things goes testosterone, anabolic steroids of assorted kinds. And then if you went even further the other direction, you could go to pregnenolone, and then you even at the top of the tier, cholesterol. So, which by the way is just a little comical thing. Like it's cholesterol, your liver makes cholesterol, and then your other organs convert it into these various things. It's probably not a coincidence that then. If you short circuit the system and introduce lots of testosterone, you get a buildup of what's above it, i.e., cholesterol. Take testosterone, cholesterol's not being used for its intended purpose, and you get an overwhelming you know, overload of it. None of this stuff is magic or inexplicable. It's all very, very fucking rational. And another interesting rational thing is one of the major problems with anabolic steroids, which actually isn't a problem with anabolic steroids, as, I'll become, as, as will become clear in a moment, is most people abuse fucking testosterone. Testosterone's in that series of events. Its next rational stop is the conversion from testosterone to estrogen. And they wind up with an overwhelming amount of estrogen. They wind up with estrogenic side effects and need to intervene in some way. Okay. the problem is the body is designed for a given fixed relatively normal amount of testosterone and that generates a fixed normal amount of estrogen so if you add bunches and bunches of testosterone you wind up with bunches and bunches of estrogen so to abuse testosterone they then have to take some sort of estrogen mediating drug like you know orimidex or what have you whereas my approach would be instead of taking this drug to fix this drug, why not just intervene with a drug that doesn't cause that problem? Take a drug that, the, 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 the enzymatic conversion of testosterone to estrogen is something called aromatization, it's via the aromatization pathway. It aromatizes at a specific junction on the testosterone molecule, cleaving it into estrogen. There are anabolic androgenic steroids that have been very specifically by really clever people in white coats to avoid that problem. Any drug with a with a DHT backbone or a 19-NOR testosterone backbone either doesn't convert to estrogen or does so at a wildly reduced rate, meaning you could get all of your milligrams and not get all of your downstream estrogen. So instead of taking a gram of testosterone and a milligram of an astrozole to kill the estrogen, why not take 200 milligrams of testosterone, get a normal amount of estrogen, and then take 800 milligrams of something both more effective and less problematic? That would be the sort of thing I would bring to the table in terms of strategy and mindset.
0: Yeah, like I think if people that are contemplating this, all this stuff, or are even using already, if you just actually understand that kind of hormonal pathway, like you're saying, and all the the offshoots of what what happens when you're a higher amount of testosterone here or whatever, if you just actually understand that stuff and look at the conversions, you can, first of all, make better drug choices, you know, which is obviously, you know, you can save yourself money at the very least, you know, uh, but you also can make better dosage choices because you're like, okay, well, I don't have to engage in polypharmacy like take this for this and this other thing for this when it's like okay well if i actually just know what is causing this issue you can prevent it before it actually happens you know so would, would, would you be in favor because i know it is very like kind of in vogue now with uh, the, the drugs in drug scene to basically have testosterone or to take enough testosterone to effectively bring you to the, the peak natural range in terms of you take enough testosterone so that you're at roughly 1,000, uh, 1,200, 1, or even above that, uh, you know, uh, whatever, nanograms per deciliter. And then after that, start using other drugs that potentially have more of the effect that you're looking for. Like, would you ever say to someone, okay, we're just going to do testosterone, you're going to take whatever 500 milligrams per week so I know that used to be the the standard like okay you do 12 weeks 500 milligrams per week you know that's the standard beginner cycle would you be more of the okay you're gonna do 250 milligrams per week and we're going to use these other drugs on top of that like what would be the initial approach Like, obviously it's different and obviously there's there's nuance and caveat well,
1: there is there is caveat after caveat but I, I'll, I'll do it more in a a, a slightly different way than than you're asking, but I think I'll come to the same answer. Um, The first thing I would say is, I'll just use you as an example. You're the subject in front of me. You've never used drugs before. You have a base of training and an understanding of training. I would say a very effective, almost foolproofly effective, but not exuberant dosing, would be a total dosing of about five milligrams per kilogram weekly. So I'd take your body weight in kilograms, multiply it by five, and I would say that's going to be approximately our peak target dosing for you. So, you know, we'll just, what do you, what do you weigh, 80, 90 kilograms?
0: 95. You can just say 100. for. Right,
1: we'll, we'll round it to 100. So your peak dosing in this example is going to be about 500 milligrams. That low number makes it mildly problematic in that a TRT dosing, if you went to a doctor and got testosterone replacement, they would give you something on the order of one milligram per kilogram weekly. I find that the sports or alpha TRT is more like two or three milligrams per kilogram. I typically default to three so we say three milligrams per kilogram is your sports TRT value. So 300 of your 500 milligrams is testosterone as a starting point. That can change, and I'll explain why in a minute. So then I would say probably there's also the conversation of you know minimum and maximum effective duration or you know, length, of course, or cycle length. Um, I won't go into the details, but I'll just blurt out that it's typically – somewhere between eight and 20 weeks. I typically put it more in like the 10 to 16, with 14 probably being kind of the, I don't want to say median, because it's not the median, but kind of the default number, it's right around 14. So we'll just leave it at that. I can, I can walk you through how I arrived at that if you'd like, but momentarily we'll just leave it at that and we'll say somewhere in the 10 to 14 week range. And the maximum dose of 500 milligrams. So what I would say is you begin with the 300 milligrams of testosterone and it's monolithic across the dosing pattern. So all 14 weeks, you're going to do 300 milligrams of testosterone. I'd say maybe the first quarter or the first four-ish, three or four-ish weeks, just testosterone. Then rather than raising the testosterone dose, we introduce 100 milligrams of some Cleverly selected androgenic anabolic steroid to meet your goals as best as possible. And to meet your goals, we'd have to do a complicated, you know, essay of what it is you currently have, what it is you're currently trying to do, and we pick accordingly. And that could be anything from you know, Dianabol, Primabol, Masteron, Nandrolone. It depends on what characteristics you're trying to tease out. So we would add 100 milligrams of that for a, another safe quarter or third of the course, then raise the dosing yet once more. So we'd go, you know, 300 to 400 to that 500, finish up at that 500 and then be done. So that's roughly how that would lay out. Um, people always ask things like, how many different drugs should I take? Um, again, my answer is always the minimum necessary. We, we want to tease out the the. Characteristics you want. And my argument always is if you want too many characteristics, that means you're introducing so many different drugs, you have a flawed plan. You need to go back to the beginning and start in a more focused, periodized mindset and isolate. I am working on strength, power, size, body composition, or something, and make your goal more focused. Work your design again, and theoretically, it should have less total compounds typically i work with people all the way to the mr olympia caliber and typically i don't like to see a professional athlete using say more than four drugs at a time i think beyond that you're just you don't know what's doing what for the average casual dare i say recreational user literally two drugs testosterone and something is probably the answer Um, Now, I get this question a lot. Why not just use testosterone? Testosterone is the natural hormone. Why not just use all testosterone? Well, I'll tell you why. One, it's designed very specifically for that downstream pathway efficacy. It converts to estrogen and uh, DHT. Those two in excess will cause problems. Too much DHT and you get a prostate the size of a tennis ball too much estrogen, and you grow titties, cry, and eat chocolate. Neither of which are particularly effective for sports. So there's a built-in cap. There just is. It's not my opinion. It's goddamn fact. So, So if you exceed a given threshold in testosterone, you're going to exceed a given threshold in estrogen and have problems. There are medications you can use to intervene, but why intervene with a drug that's not going to add performance characteristics it's only there to dumb down the negative effect of another drug i say minimize that drug and introduce a drug that's actually going to bring performance characteristics
0: yeah whenever anyone says that as well because i I, like i haven't helped people again like caveat or whatever but like i've talked to people that are doing this and i always say like like testosterone is not actually that effective like i always use myself as an example like i personally like being natural like the lowest i've ever seen my testosterone is like 800 right but i'm skinny as fuck right (laughs) so i'm like if it's if it's that effective like i would be jacked out of my mind right but i'm not you know so i'm like use uh, effective drugs for the the given goal like if it is you want to get bigger then use drugs that are more i point
1: that out I point that out to people all the time. They, they, you know, they give me this goofy, you know. There's, the, there's, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, of, but there's something referred to in science as the natural fallacy: is because it's natural, it must be mm. good and safe. Well, that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. You know, uranium is natural. That's I wouldn't certain. walk natural around with it natural. in my pockets. You know, uh, you know, opium is natural. I, I wouldn't abuse it. There's lots of things that are natural and just not that fucking good for you. So that's stupid. Secondly, chemists, really, really smart, educated people, spent tens of thousands of man hours and millions of dollars to create better options. They took testosterone, identified the good parts, identified the bad parts, exaggerated the good, minimized the bad. Why would you not want that? <laughs> it's just, you know, It's, it's kind of like you know, again, I'm I'm a little flippant and a little cavalier with language, but I, I point out to people like every country in the world has money, but who goes out of their way to buy pesos? Like it's you just it's just the shitty one. You don't want that one. Yeah, it's money, but why not go with one of the good ones? You know, there's dollars, there's euros, there's fucking krugerrands. Let's go with something with some zoom. The fucking nobody wants fucking pesos. Even the people who have them don't fucking want them. It's stupid. So uh, that's kind of, again, the way I would handle that. Now, I did mention one thing I kind of glossed over, and I'll go back. It's a little out of, out of order, but I said we would start with that, like, three milligrams per kilogram of testosterone. There is, and this is where I, me, make my money. Estrogen is not evil. It's problematic, but not evil. There's a difference. If estrogen crosses a given threshold, you start to get feministic side effects. That's bad. However, everything before that, estrogen's actually really quite positive. Good for the joints, good for the cardiovascular system, uh, good for phlebotomy. It, It improves characteristics of blood. It does lots of really good things, possibly lowers. Um, or rather raises pain tolerance. It has a lot of very positive effects up until the whole titties and chocolate thing. So what I would say is when working with an athlete, I would start with that three milligrams per kilogram of testosterone. And if I saw no problems, we would chip it up slowly to try and find the maximum usable dose and for some people it's all the way down in that one milligram some people we start at three and they have problems we got to bring it down then other people we start at three and we can go all the way up to six but the point is is we want to use as much as we can without getting negative side effects because everything before the negative side effects is in fact positive not so much for performance but for the overall Hmm. sustainability of the product yeah, and I see uh, a very positive correlation between LDL-HDL ratios and plasma estrogen values, for instance.
0: Yeah, like that's something I think people as well forget that like hormones have, yeah, negative feedback loops and everything, but there, there are certain, like there's, there's reasons you have, the hormones, you know, like they're they're needed for certain things, you know, like mind blowing. I know, but it's like if you just try to cut off one, like you see people use, say, like a letrozole or something, and they just completely tank their their estrogen, and they're like, oh, I can't get a hard on. I I feel like shit all day. My blood work has like got worse. It's like, what did you think was going to happen from this?
1: Well, again, talking about like knowing the science and knowing the language, something that I find really, really um just blatantly funny, I guess is the la- the language I need to use. I just find it blatantly comical is you have all these tough guy you know bearded tattooed tough guys waddling around the gym, um, try and explain to one of them that their libido and sexual performance is almost wholly predicated on their estrogen value. Try and explain that to them uh, and see how your day goes because that's that 's always fun um, but anyway the the, the reality is men's sexual function and libido is largely driven by estrogen, and women, conversely, are largely driven by androgens. So the male hormone actually makes women sexually active, and the female hormone actually makes men sexually active. So yes, by suppressing estrogen, on top of wrecking your LDL-HDL profile and the synovial fluid in your joints, and you know, the, some of the efficacy of you know, your blood characteristics, on top of that, you have very little interest in whatever it is you should find interesting on a sexual level so it's it 's pretty comical
0: yeah so we'll we'll move this now to the next bit because these are the kind of questions that I have, so this is this is stuff that i don 't understand, or rather Fair enough. I, I have opinions on but not well thought out opinions on because it 's not my field and i 'm not, and i 'm not going to spend years researching it but why do different drugs work differently, right? And I don't mean that from like a, a stupid place, but I mean that from like, okay, we we obviously have chemists. They go, okay, we look this receptor binds to this. Let's you know change it, a carbon here. Okay, now it seems to bind differently. Like I, I know I've read research on the you know the androgenic anabolic ratios and you know in mice. That also seems to be somewhat incorrect because the the muscles they chose for it are muscle tissue like it's not actually uh, they wanted like prostate tissue or something so it's like it's not in, in my mind I'm like it's not really true and also it's in mice like it's not necessarily equivalent to humans so I'm like it, was,
1: it was rats it, it was rats. actually done in rats and it was um, there was a lot of problems with that study they used the levator ani muscle yeah. which is the uh, calf of, of a rat and the rats don't actually have a prostate they have a parallel organ referred to as the seminal vesicle. Mm. So there was a lot of problems with that you know, design from the beginning, although I'm not bashing it because, one, we're talking about the dawn of time in terms of you know, the, the, the science of these things, and it was anybody's fucking guess. Yeah. And that was a pretty good guess. It just turned out to not be that goddamn effective. But, yes, that's what they compared was the growth of the prostate equivalent to the growth of the calf. Um, and it, it determines some useful information, but it's yes, this, more of a this is the more thing of I'm a like, guideline.
0: Yeah, it seems seems to give you a good starting point, though. But in my mind, I'm like this this doesn't seem to be correct. Which, as like a, a scientist myself, I'm like like how do you how do you then make your your choice? Because is it just experience? Then is it just like okay, well, well, don't, yeah, go on.
1: I wouldn't say it's just experience. There's there's actually a lot of interesting uh, science that's come to light since then. For instance, the idea was to separate the androgenic from estrogenic or androgenic from anabolic properties. It was later determined that they really weren't that separable, they were very much more entwined than thought. And then other material came to light. For instance, um, muscle tissue is obviously very plastic. Very dynamic and changes under varying conditions. Mere exercise can change, you can make your muscles larger, smaller, faster, slower, change oxidative rates. They're very, very plastic. Well, one of the things that's also plastic is the density of androgen receptors. Okay. However, it's also now come to light that, for instance, the prostate is not plastic in that respect. So, not that it's a good thing, but it's a thing. Your prostate has a fixed number of receptors, so essentially that means that the risk at, say, 200 milligrams of testosterone is very much the same as the risk at 2,000 milligrams. Once you reach receptor density, you're not going to. It's not going to get worse. So this idea of trying to excise the androgenic uh, aspect. Turns out to really just not, it's a moot point. It's just not really a thing. You're going to suffer X amount of androgenic side effects and then get on with it. Um, and interestingly, people, you know, Lyle McDonald and Andrew and Shane, some of those people in the early industry theorized this long before it was brought to real science light in that they were saying, we see no higher incidence of, say, prostate cancer in anabolic users than we see in Gen Pop. That has to mean something, you know, and that, that was the kind of thinking that led to this. So the, the, the whole, how do you choose a compound? I would say is much more dependent on what do you want out of said compounds. It's less about trying to pick a healthy compound and more pick one that's going to more specifically do what you want. Therefore, you will need less of it for less duration. And that's the health aspect. Mm. You know, for instance, talking about the testosterone, you said testosterone is not very effective. It's not very effective, but it is effective. Yeah. And it's hard to argue the idea that, yeah, if you just keep raising your testosterone dose, you will eventually get the fucking result you want. But it's eventually, and it's going to come at great consequence in a lot of different aspects. Whereas for a third of that amount of testosterone with cleverly chosen other compounds, you could probably achieve the same goal.
0: Yeah. Cause I always like in my head, I, I kind of think about it cause obviously like I, I like to think I'm a biochemist. So I like to think in, in terms of protein, yeah. right? So like I, I yeah. look at it and I'm like, obviously if this has a, different structure, like it's a different structural compound, you know, derivative of testosterone, you know, it's going to bind to the androgen receptor differently. Now that might mean that it has a a better binding, whatever, but it also might mean that it has different signaling pathways as a result, like other, other molecules might bind or not bind because of the changes that you've made. So in my mind, I'm like, that could be one of the ways that these drugs are creating a different effect but then i also kind of think in the back of my mind because like especially like if you're reading a lot of research these days like the the androgen receptor seems to be very important in terms of muscle building like it seems like if you have more androgen receptors you you build more muscle but also like obviously testosterone and stuff like or androgens they do increase the androgen receptor density you know if your body's like okay we have more androgens you know we're going to produce more androgen receptors but then i think i'm like are some of these drugs being more effective because they have a greater effect on androgen receptor expression? You know, so you actually you have more androgen receptors. So even if you're taking something like a testosterone as your base, and then you take something else that upregulates androgen receptors, you're like you actually have more effective use of that testosterone as a result. One
1: hundred percent. That's that's absolutely accurate. Um, and then there's other factors involved there too. Is again. Talking about all these compounds break down into secondary, tertiary Mm. compounds. For instance, testosterone obviously rolls over into estrogen. Estrogen plays a role in anabolism. Also plays a role in moderating inflammation and what have you. So having the correct amount of testosterone to get the correct amount of estrogen to get that effect. Then also estrogen plays a role in the hepatic conversion of somatropic hormone Mm. over to IGF-1 and MGF and all the other... GFs that fucking come in that cascade of things and then even from there there's there's minor enzymatic differences um, in the actual like ribosomal processing protein folding packaging all of that is moderated by enzymes all of that comes from nuclear transmission via cyclic AMP so there's there's no part of this where the subtle differences don't show up um, the you, you didn't ask for this, but I'll throw it out there. I don't know how uh, cute your listeners are or how, how up to speed they are. They're going uh, to you, being, you being a biochemist are going to wince at how childlike I'm making this. But the way I explain this to utterly lay people is um, something that you could probably visualize pretty well is a, a computer chip. You know, you've got this lump of plastic, and then it has these pins sticking out of the back. And it clicks into a socket. That's a really good parallel for androgen and receptor, okay? And if you think of those pins sticking out of the computer chip, each one or maybe each grouping of those pins is a given characteristic of testosterone because that's the the master computer chip. So what clever chemists did is they came along with the metaphorical pair of pliers and they said, ah, these we've identified as being aggression. We don't really want them. So we'll clip them off and these we've identified as being you know anabolism so we're going to tug on them and make them a little longer so now when this thing clicks into the socket the aggression ones don't make very good contact and therefore don't signal that aspect of the molecule very well whereas the anabolic ones are exaggerated and they send more of that signal and it can get all very very subtle like the you know the, the the effects of um Creatin synthase, glycogen synthase, you know, effects on you know non-contractile protein expression, all these various things are representative of these pins. And with enough clever tweaking, you can change the signaling component of this, even though it's the, the same family of drug, clicking into exactly the same receptor, but you're getting a slightly different message via something called cyclic AMP, goes to the nucleus, and then the nucleus. Basically is, um, again, I, I don't want to you know, uh, insult the intelligence of your listeners, but think of the nucleus essentially as a, a, an archive. And it has all of these different blueprints. And it determines what blueprint to send to the manufacturer, which is the ribosome. So testosterone would just send this kind of generic, yeah, build a little bit of everything. Whereas primobalin going to say, ah, build actin and myosin. That's all we need right now. Whereas if you send, you know, blown, it's going to come in and say, ah, make this guy's dick hard and make him angry. You know, it's, it's, but it's all through that same concept of these pins on this basic structure molecule in this socket. Does that help?
0: It, It definitely does help. And that's, that, that is literally how I think of it. Again, like, obviously, like I read all this stuff, like, but, uh, that kind of brings me to, I essentially have two more questions, right? So okay.
1: the,
0: the next thing is, then, and this is, this is kind of a more theoretical one, would you ever choose drugs to elicit something like an increase in androgen receptor density? For example, like a thyroid hormone seems to increase androgen receptor density. And that's obviously because it's a signaling molecule for you have an increased availability of food and whatever mm-hmm. else, you know, in, in a natural setting, but then... Obviously, you have to outweigh or weigh that out with the the potentially catabolic effects of too much thyroid. But that's just in my head. I'm thinking like, oh well, that's one way that you know potentially you have like whatever 25 micro MCG of uh, thyroid per day. Would that potentially allow you to better handle the drugs that you're on? You know, and that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, is that the the future of Drug use, and then I have another question. Well,
1: it's not, it's it's, again, it's not the future. That's, that's about uh, 20 years in the past, (laughs) quite honestly. Um, People like myself have been doing that essentially for about 20 years. Um, And interesting, and and I'm going to, I'm going to confess something by, to, to elucidate more of the point. For instance, I, unfortunately, am thyroid dependent. I never used synthetic thyroid as part of my paradigm, as part of my programming. And it looks like, in hindsight, I actually should have. Hmm. I am thyroid dependent essentially for the same reason the fat kid is insulin dependent. I, through other drugs and other activities and other lifestyle choices, elevated my body weight to such a point that my thyroid had to work really hard to maintain natural parity to my unnatural other behaviors. And I wore out my thyroid gland's ability to manufacture thyroid hormones, and now I must apply them synthetically. And looking back on that, you could make the strong argument that using exogenous thyroid, one, might have made my progress better, and two, might have alleviated the burden on my thyroid gland and probably not, prevented it but prolonged the failure point um, so that's just one example of why the, what you're saying is absolutely accurate and then the other is a bit equally childlike but equally valid is that people have a very very strong propensity to think in isolation they'll think about testosterone they'll think about estrogen they'll think about insulin they'll think about growth hormone but trying to get them to think of the subtle interplays between all of them is much more difficult. It's a much harder cell. And the point is is that though thyroid hormones are an entirely different class of hormones, they have deep interplay with metabolism, with substrate utilization, and ultimately with protein expression on some level, in almost every tissue in the body. So there's always synergy, always, somewhere. And there's also sometimes cross-signaling too. There's also negatives. So it it, it always comes down to, you know, you say, oh, you know, thyroid's a catabolic. Well, it's catabolic to certain tissues, for instance, adipose tissue, but it's not enormously catabolic to muscle tissue. And in many cases can be anabolic to muscle tissue. Or if it's not anabolic to muscle tissue, it might be secondary to upregulating anabolism in muscle tissue via the expression of, you know, the, the exacerbation of, of androgen receptors or the proliferation of specific enzymes within that, you know, matrix and complex. So there's a lot, a lot going on there that's, I mean, it's funny. People look to me as, well, well, you're, you're the expert. And, and in fact, I sit around, I walk around my office here just like fucking pulling my hair out about the things I don't know. Like it's, I know more than 99% of the people and I'm literally frustrated every minute of the day about the 99% of the shit, I don't know. So. Yeah, and I,
0: and I think that is the key to all of this stuff. Well, first of all, admitting that fucking nobody knows what's going on, even doctors, even, like, experts, whatever. It's like yeah. this 100%. stuff is so, like, inter interplay dependent. It's like, okay, you raise this level, but then this level gets raised or lowered, and it's like you're always going to be having this balancing act, you know, and that's, that is one of the reasons why yeah. I'm like, oh, like – the stress of doing all this stuff, I'd rather just not. <laughs> um, but then it's like, you actually have to understand this stuff if you are going to, first of all, help people, help coach, whatever people to do this stuff. But then also, if you're going to do it yourself, you know, you should get you should yep. pretty, pretty damn sure you have a basic understanding of how these things interplay, right? So the next and final question I have on this is, okay, where like where do you see the the future of drug use in terms of athletics in terms of sports in terms of all this stuff and I mean that not from like oh do you think it's going to be legalized I couldn't care less like I, I'm very like a I suppose you'd call me right-wing libertarian I'm like I don't care what you do with your body as long as I don't have to pay with it pay for it you know so like I don't right. care about the the ethical or whatever but I mean like where do you see the the next big breakthroughs in drugs going forward? Because I always look at it like, you know, when you start seeing uh, a team or something start winning in the Olympics and they've never had uh, <laughs> a history of that, I'm like, did they just get new drugs that other people aren't using yet? You know, like, yeah. I always, like it's, it's cynical enough. Like, I don't know if you saw the, the guy, the marathon runner, uh, who recently yeah. won or whatever. I'm like, is he just on better drugs than other people? You know, it's like...
1: Not, not, not coincidentally that a slew of Kenyans have recently failed, uh, you know, WADA doping tests. So it's pro- that's probably not a coincidence in that. Um, so that that's that's certainly relevant. But I'll actually tackle the the, the peripheral part of that is, as far as the legality. And I'm in the U.S. and I'm looking through a, a United States lens, as we Americans tend to do. But not, nonetheless, um, I do in fact think that. I don't. I, I wouldn't say legalization is probably in the cards, but a decriminalization, destigmatization is on the move in the U.S. Um, fortunately, um, I'll be as. Po- this is about as political as I get. Uh, fortunately, Joe Biden is as old as fucking dirt and is going to die at some point in the not too distant future. Um, and if you don't know this, he is almost single-handedly responsible for the extreme illegality of 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 peds in the united states so when his just frighteningly obnoxious you know liberal floppy dick finally fucking shrivels up and dies we can get on with rational thought and i i think the world will be a better place uh when he finally dies I, i certainly can't see it getting worse but anyway That's about as political as I get, but fuck him. I hope he dies. (laughs) Um, um, But anyway, that, that aside, um, my thinking on anabolics in in terms of the future is a number of fold. For instance, think back um, a mere 30 years ago at the crudity, embarrassing crudity of say birth control. It was, it was horrific. It was awful. It was, it was a giant leap forward from nothing, but boy, was it bad. Look how good it is now. Hmm. Okay. I believe if the same level of thought, resources, and finances go into anabolics, we could have very effective, very safe drugs. Again, look at the, the, the life cycle of anabolics as it exists. We went from methyl testosterone in you know, the early 50s, to prima ball in, in the early '70s, there's night and day different. So See. if we could continue that progression for 20 or 30 years, we could have drugs that you take once every, you know, six months and get you know Olympia caliber results out of with nominal, you know, Im- impact to health. So that's the first thing I think is. Sheer money and research will make the whole subject much better and safer, but we have to remove the stigma to get to that. However, the real future of sports is gene manipulation. There's no doubt in my mind that gene manipulation is, one, going on now in a crude form, and two, when it finally hits its stride, the world will never be the same uh, in, in, in ways that are hard to describe even. I, I think and my, my expectation is, um, so that's what I think the future really is.
0: yeah, like I always look at that as well, like you always see the Chinese athletes they come in and they just dominate, and then I'm like, they also have the 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 biggest gene research facilities in the world, and I'm like are they uh are they doing a little little something already? <laughs>
1: They're, they're, they're actually probably not well not probably they're not the only ones and they're almost certainly not the first ones uh, as a matter of fact if you look at the 80s and 90s most of the major genetic corporations set up outposts in Brazil Argentina and Jamaica stop and think about that for a moment mm. Cons- consider the consequences of that um, so by by far and away they're not the first to do it and then the other thing there's other questions quirky, especially you mentioned, you know, Olympic weightlifting. Um, China has done something overtly that other countries did more subtly. And that is they modified the sport to meet the genetic components of their people. Again, I don't mean to be, racial, or this is not in any way a slight or whatever, but the the phenotype of the average Chinese person is what it is. They very, on average, have a shorter femur per height than most Caucasians, okay? If you look at the mechanics that the Chinese team uses, it exploits specifically that shorter femur. They don't use the split, they, they use the squat method. The way they carry the bar, the way they rack the bar, their foot position is everything's designed to exploit that relatively speaking shorter femur, shorter moment arm in the squat position. So not only are they probably manipulating genetics behind the scenes, but they're manipulating the engineering of the mechanics that exploit the genetics. I I don't know if that makes sense exactly. You have to be be really into Olympic lifting to know what I just said, but, you know, and for instance, you can see that same parallel going on in Jamaica. If you look at the top Jamaican 100 and 200 and 400 meter runners, they have much longer femurs Mm -hmm. than the historical counterparts. If you look at the geometry of Ben Johnson versus Hussein Bolt, they're literally goddamn different species. And because of that, they changed the mechanics of how they run. Ben Johnson ran on a glute quad mechanics. He leaned forward, drove into the ground with the force from his glutes. Hussein Bolt has a longer femur, and he actually made his way on femur return. His hip flexors actually draw his femur back up faster than his glutes and quads drive it backwards. He's actually, in a sense, running backward,
0: mm.
1: and that was purely a fabrication of the engineering of this new body type.
0: Yeah, like I, I think that is. Once we start getting into this whole gene doping, whatever era, it's like I actually don't think people will be able to compete because you know it, there's actually so no, I mean, many so many things that you could. Genetically alter, you know, muscle fiber type, but also like anthropometry. But like your hip socket could be so much better for Olympic weightlifting. Your actual like one of your femur, like there's so much that can be manipulated, and it almost becomes uh, a study in which are the manipulations that are best, rather than the
1: that, best, absolutely. The a one percent change, a one percent change in um, uh, mitochondrial density. Yeah. would be the difference between you know, a, a four-minute and a three-minute mile. It's just that, that little tiny difference. And I'll give you an example uh, that, that's, that's me. Um, I tore this bicep pretty you – know, had to have it reattached to the bone. And because of the reattachment, it's a couple of millimeters longer than the other one. It, they needed a clean place mm-hmm. in which to reattach it. So this muscle is, is actually a couple of millimeters longer than this one. Not necessarily the muscle, but the insertion point. Yeah. So even though this muscle was radically damaged over this one, I'm actually stronger mm. on this side because the mechanical leverage advantage of that minor, minor change in a reinsertion point. So if that, I mean, that's a one-to-one comparison. It's this arm and this arm. I carry them around all day long. And that tiny little bit of change made this stronger. So just genetically manipulating or even blatantly mechanically manipulating the insertion point of a given muscle could radically change the force production within that muscle. So the number of things you can do to a person, an athlete, a fetus, you know, an adolescent, to tease out these sorts of changes is, is vast,
0: vast. I don't think that once that becomes a thing the the genie can't be put back in the bottle with that. And it's like, you like, it it becomes an issue of money rather than thing. Well, it probably is at the moment anyway, you know?
1: Well, it's always been money. There's other things too. Um, I I don't, I think people fail to, again, I'm, I'm American. So maybe I'm just looking through an American lens, but People have this attitude that, oh, it's money, it's all money. It just, you throw money at it, it'll get better. It's also innovation and the ability to think laterally. And that's something that money doesn't always bring. So there's, there's a lot of shit going on there. There's just being able to think in a slightly different direction you know, is, is, is like, like, for instance, changing the geometry of how you run. Like, people were like, oh, you know how to run. Ben Johnson did it, you know. They, well, turns out there's other ways. Who knew? You know, it took some lateral thinking to get to that point. Then it took money to pursue it for sure, but without the idea, money's just fucking money. And this country's really good at wasting money. Yeah. Now there you know, so there's there's a lot there's a lot hiding in there. But yeah, the 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 future of athletics, and I think, dare I say the future of of, of humanity, which is a really bold statement, but I do think it's um, you know, the the whole gene therapy thing like there's a a really just soccer mom crossfit douchebaggery um poo-pooing on genetically modified organisms and quite honestly um again i'm a biologist and kind of my field and kind of my world but i literally believe that without genetically modified food crops humanity has no future i think that is going to be our solace our saving grace is you know Poverty and starvation is the number one problem facing the population of this planet. Adjusting the food crops to meet that need is is going to be the greatest thing we can ever do. Yeah, like so I, I, I I go ahead. I, I was just going to say i, it, I it's it, it's unpopular to say that because violent people have some sort of Frankenstein's monster fear of this shit, but. Uh, meanwhile, they eat fucking corn and bananas and don't realize that those are wholly human created fucking foods. They're, I mean, people are just dumb. But I, I do I do believe that that's the... the uh, and, and interestingly, I also think global warming falls into that. One, I don't really believe it's happening. But if it were, um, if you look historically at the timeline of, you know, like, your know, Paleolithic people through today, um, as the climate has gotten warmer... Human success has gotten greater and greater. Modern society is purely an artifact of warmer temperatures and agriculture. So it's hard to argue that if temperatures actually got warmer, we might just get more successful, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, I would be—I would definitely be in the same camp. Well, I would be called a, a lukewarmer on the whole uh, climate change thing. When I always look at that. I'm like, like CO two is literally plant food, and it's like we're not ready to have the conversation about you know. The reason that we've been able to drive starvation levels down so much is potentially a consequence of potentially raising CO2 levels in the atmosphere up so much, so it's like
1: this. Well, even that's even that's fucking that's just fucking. God. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely, CO two is plant food, and higher CO two means more plant life. But the other thing, you know, people are like, oh my god, do you know CO two's gone from three hundred parts per million to four hundred? And I'm like, yeah. And sixty thousand years ago, it was four thousand. You're a fucking idiot. You just don't know what you're talking about. It's it, there's just nothing to it. Um, the, the the short answer and and. I don't want to be, again, I'm overly cavalier about these things, but on the point of climate change, first of all, I hate the whole global warming, climate change people, but I'll give them credit. That was the one clever thing they did. When they changed the name, when they hired a marketing firm, and by the way, they actually did hire a marketing firm and change the name from global warming to climate change, that was the single-handedly most clever thing they did, because as an intelligent person, it is absolutely impossible to argue that climates don't change. Climates change. The Sahara Desert was a rainforest 20,000 years ago. The American Southwest was a fucking ocean. Climates change. There was ice covering New York City. Climates change. So yes, I'm a staunch believer in climate change. However, I am not a staunch believer in human driven climate change or that it's bad for us.
0: That's, that's fair enough. I, I have a uh, mixed views on the whole topic. I'm like, mm. in some issues I'm like, yeah, it makes, makes sense. But the real issue I think is how do you actually solve it? And I'm like, I don't, I definitely don't think increased taxation and then avoiding taxing other countries that contribute more because they're, uh, lower down, I'm like they're they're contributing more. Yet yeah, you're like that's to help their development. We don't tax them. It's like that doesn't you don't it, that doesn't make sense. It's like they're still contributing more and not paying for it. Then so that's that's
1: a that's a whole. Did. That's the whole the 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 point of that whole context. And we're we're way off point. But I'll I'll sum <laughs> up my entire thinking with this. The whole the whole concept of climate change and global warming is that it is. A political problem. It is not an environmental problem. It is a political problem, at least in the United States. And what it means is if there is ever global warming and there is a rise in sea level, it means wealthy white people will have to sell their beachfront property and move inland. It's a political problem. The poor brown people don't live at the beach, the wealthy white people do. Those are the people that are affronted and affected by it. The fucking poor sharecroppers in central fucking Georgia don't give one fuck about global warming, except that their crops will grow better. So it's good for the poor, bad for the rich, and therefore it's evil.
0: That's fair enough. So to wrap this up, because... If if we weren't on the podcast, I would be very happy to rant all things politics because I'm very opinionated, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) I don't want to get kicked off of the air. Um, So where can people find you? And I suppose what are the services you offer? Because obviously you're a, a very intelligent person, especially with regards to this whole ped use, you're you're doing it in a smart way. You're advising people a smart way. So if it is something that people are interested in, obviously they're going to be like, hmm, maybe I should contact Roderick. Like what? What? Like where can they find you? What services do you offer? And then pimp out the seminar that's coming up. What are, what's going to, what's going to be discussed?
1: <laughs> well, um, as far as finding me, that's super easy. Uh, I got one really good. I'm I'm not by any stretch a business wizard. As a matter of fact, I'm rather daft when it comes to business. But I got one really good bit of advice early on, and that is unified marketing. Everything that I'm associated with, all of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, anything, any social media modality, I am the same place. And it is Team Evil GSP. My business is Evil Genius Sports Performance, Team Evil GSP, ubiquitous across all platforms. So if you're looking for me, that's how you look. And if I'm there, you'll find me. So Team Evil GSP is the moniker in which you can find everything from my website all the way down to esoteric social media platforms. So that's super easy. Um, As far as services I offer... Um, are, I, I personally am actually becoming a bit harder and harder to pin down for services because I'm I'm very busy. Uh, I don't want to, you know, be condescending and say I'm not available, but my availability is limited at this point. But what I do offer is coaching to elite level athletes um, and then consulting to mid level athletes. Um, about 125 U.S. dollars an hour, less for packages and can discuss, clarify, and, you know, bring to light all, all of these points we've been talking about. Um, usually the average person I can get through their wants and needs in an hour or two. Um, so depending on, you know, what you're looking for, that's an option. Uh, again, you can find that information on the website, pretty uh, explicit pricing plans and schemes. Um, I also do an awful lot of free social media stuff. I do an hour long question answer every week on uh, Instagram chances are 50% of the people listening can probably find the answers they want there. If they're willing to, you know, imbibe in the free product time consuming, but cheap. And then the other option is I do have a paid members website, nine ninety-nine US a month. And there chances are, you'll find what you're looking for. Um, so there's a lot of options as far as how to consume the content that I offer. Uh, and then as far as the product I'm bringing to, uh, Ireland and the UK. See, so, yeah, I, I was clever there. I said Ireland and UK. You guys were first. Uh, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, as far as that, um, I, I have a syllabus. It's published on the various sites that are vending the tickets. Um, Synapse Performance and... Um, Trot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the short answer is what I'm going to do is... Uh, there's, there's two separate seminars, depending on which location and which date, but there's physique presentation and there's strength and power. So basically the first half of both of them is going to be very, very similar. And I'm basically going to start at the concept of what is life? What is a cell? How one cell got to be multi-cells, got to be organs, got to be systems, got to be bodies. And then at the at the you're a person part, it'll bifurcate into you're a bodybuilder or you're a powerlifter. But I want to cover the very fundamentals of how all this shit got to be the way it is because that's going to then mirror why you do the things you do is because they are the way they are. Hormonal signaling came to be the way it is under these conditions. And now this is how we exploit it based on that. So we're going to do some very, very fundamental grade school biology. And that's going to lead into how we would then apply those really childishly basic principles into getting bigger, leaner muscles or bigger, stronger muscles. And of course, being who I am, there will be a heavy infusion of, and this is where you could insert a drug to do this, and this is where you could insert a drug to do that. But at the end of the day, the drugs are really the, the window dressing on the biology. It's, it's all about biology and something that we actually missed in all of this. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in now because it just came to me. Something that people really need to understand about drugs is drugs don't do anything. Your living cells do something. Drugs supply the information. Drugs are signaling. The body still does. Your body builds muscle, not steroids. Steroids tell your body to build muscle. But your body builds the muscle, so at the end of the day it's always biology first, everything else second, so that is the way this will progress but um, I, I, if you haven't gotten the, the hint, I'm very, very interested, excited, and passionate about this um, so if you if you were to come you'll you'll at the very least be impressed by my engagement in the topic, uh, if not the material, and beyond that you'll hear a lot of um profanity watch me drink a lot of coffee there'll be a lot of pacing and an awful lot of uh material about getting bigger and stronger and faster
0: yeah it's definitely definitely something to put down in your your book and go to Uh, i'll have the the links and stuff in the description box if people are interested and but myself and gary will be there Everyone, the who's who of the, the fitness industry in Ireland and those oh, scumbags in the UK, uh, they'll, they'll, they will be there. Uh, so you know, get yourself there. Um, we are at the end of the podcast and I'm actually already thinking of a few other topics that I would like to get you back on to discuss in the future. One of which, I and mean, you've, you've put it on social media a good few times, is getting blood work done and interpreting blood work. So I'm definitely gonna hopefully we'll get Gary on as well so we can have a three-way conversation. But we'll definitely get you back on in the future to discuss these topics. Uh, And obviously if people have been listening and they've enjoyed the content, you know, like the content, do all that stuff, but also actually interact, you know, like social media is great for that kind of stuff. People don't use it to its best ability. Like if you were want to get in touch with Broderick, like you said, he's on Instagram, he's on Facebook, he's 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 reachable, you know. So use it for that if you if you yeah. do want to engage. Anyway, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Uh, thank you for your time, Broderick, and I uh, will we'll, see you on I can't, can't remember the date, but <laughs> it's like three weeks. It's not far. Yeah, I know. I'm like, is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? But it it is soon and.
1: Uh, yeah, get tickets, do all that jazz. Anyway, enjoy.